Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Welcome back to the show. Philip A. Greenberg, our legal professional of the year, joining us here from beautiful New York, New York, to talk all about the work he does as an attorney. And uh, even uh, today, he's, he's busy, 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 right after the holidays. How are you? Yeah, so, yeah, I'm, I'm good. How, how are you, Joe? Good, good. It's funny. We were just talking off, um, off the air about um, being the executor of a will, and I have a quick question for you yeah. about that. Is it true? Sure. Because when my uh, grandparents died, there were six siblings, really five. One was dead. They made my <laughs> uncle the executor, and he tried telling everybody oh. that he had to take 30% extra, 30% or 30,000, whatever it was, he had to take it. And then the big argument in the family was, he didn't have to take it. They suggest you take it because you're the one doing all the paperwork. But technically, by law, he doesn't have to take it, does he? Absolutely not. Yeah, he lied like, to uh, us all. Yeah, yeah. So what it is, and, and I'm going and I'm going to tie it into my main area of matrimonial anyway. But um, as a, a segue, every state that I'm aware of, um, including the two states that practice in New York, New Jersey, and actually now I'm also an executive of a Florida state, is that the executor is entitled to an executor's commission, which is upon the size of the estate. He or she doesn't have to take it. It's just like... Someone winning the lottery, it, it's not a perfect example, but it's like winning the lottery and say, oh, I had to take the $100 million. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, he absolutely, it was, it, was, it was his, he was entitled to it, but the law, there's nobody, there's, there's nobody could, the only one who, who felt that he really had to take it was your uncle. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Um, and to segue into my main area, uh, you know you know me, I'll, I'll discuss whatever you want related to law, is that um, I definitely do not consider myself a trust in the state's attorney. I have a good trust in the state's attorney in my office. Um, but I do several wills every year because especially people who are going through the throes of divorce. They need an emergency will because just think about it, Joe, and I know you've never been married, although we're going we're gonna to get you married off, but, you know, it's got to be the perfect, perfect man, perfect man. But um, is that, as you can imagine, somebody going through a divorce is thinking that if they die, and they have a will adding everything to their husband or wife, that they need a will like yesterday. They don't want to fuss around with estate planning and worrying about this and worrying about... They need a new will that doesn't leave anything to their husband or wife. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of what I call emergency will, where, um, you know, I'm representing husband and the wife, we're disinheriting the wife, wife, you disinherited the husband, um, and um, and I said, and they said, well, you know, I'm not sure, maybe I want nephew as the executor or give something to my niece. So I, yeah. I said, look, you need 
this is an emergency with like doing a tourniquet, you know, so a person doesn't die. Yeah. You know, on the scene, then you worry about the details when you get them to that, right? This is an emergency will. You just got to disinherit your, your hopefully soon to be ex wife or ex husband. And you can't, you know, it, and then once you're divorced, we'll, we'll sit down with a trust in the state to stay state's attorney in my office, and we'll work out in state plan. But right now, you have an emergency situation. And they never fight me. Mm-hmm. I assure you, Jim, that, and, and since we're staying on my main area of Maryland law, do understand that, as far as I know, in every state, and actually this comes from the British common law, so it, it was literally true even before the United States got its independence in Great Britain, that you cannot disinherit your husband or wife. Really? In most, yes, even if you have a will leaving, let's say, nothing to your husband, he's still entitled to a third of your estate. Mm-hmm. And and there, there's, at least in New York, very, very, very limited exceptions to that. It's, it's just absolutely extraordinary, even when you haven't seen your husband and wife in 10 years and you've been separated and estranged and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's why um, a... So, so I had a case, um, oh, I'd say about 10 or so years ago. Um, it was a, a French couple by... Why should I say by coincidence? Um, I, I I don't know if we've gone into my background, Joe, but I'm half French. And so, especially at the time, my French was pretty good. And I just realized it was more than 10 years ago. And my French was pretty good. And this client, uh, both the husband and wife were from France. They'd been living here over 20 years, married. Um, but, you know, at home, they only spoke French to each other. And so my client, who was a waiter at an Amer- you know, American West, uh, restaurant all those years, so, you know, he, he had a, he was, he could take orders, you know, you, you know, you, you know, when, when you give an order to a waiter or waitress or, or anybody, really not fluent in English, but they, you know, since that's what they do for a living, they'll, you know, they'll, They'll, they'll be able to take down orders to answer very simple questions, you know, what's the special of the day, and, you know, and how do you want the steak or medium, and, you know. But that was the extent, really, of his um, working knowledge of English. As I say, he and his wife, since they were both from France, both French at home. So, um, and they didn't have children together. So, um, Fortunately, my French was pretty good at the time. Wow. So most of my conversations with him were in French, and I'd write and respond to him in French. So um, anyway, long to fast forward now. So this is, again, a second marriage for both. They each had a daughter from their first marriage. Uh, the daughters were adults. Uh, so the first marriage, the adult daughters were not at issue at all. Um, in fact, I think both daughters were still back in France because their first marriages were in France. 
So they met here and they got married and they were both from France. So, and we were having a hard time settling the case. And I had a very, very nice judge. I'll mention his name. He's unfortunately deceased. His name is Joseph Dorsa, D-O-R-S-A, um, in Queens Supreme Court. Just a lovely man, Joe. Um, and I, but just, he was just a very conscientious. He was a lovely man. And, um, but we were having a hard time settling the case. And the other lawyer and I were trying to, you know, bring about a settlement. There were no children, but it was a 22-year-old, 22-year-old marriage. They were in a house together and some other assets. So he said um, he would get uh, all the courts, at least in New York City, I'm sure outside New York City too, but particularly in New York City, which is an international city, they will have their translators in any major language, Russian, for example, um, Chinese, including the dialects like Cantonese and um, whatever the, um, the other one, um, and Spanish, of course, French, of course. Um, so, uh, so he arranged for the French translator, and we met off the record with them in chambers, the attorneys, the husband and wife, and the translator. And what he brought home to them is that, and of course they weren't spring chickens, I mean, second marriage, and they were married 22 years, um, and they'd grown up children. So the judge, the assistant to the translator, explained to them that if they don't settle the case and, you know, go to trial and whatever, and of course all these things take time, you already have taken a long time, and one of them dies before the case is over, the other one is going to wind up with a third of the other ones to stay. And he knew that that would really impress them. There's one thing they didn't want of them wanted was the other one to get a third of them. In fact, to make matters worse, since they owned the house, uh, what's called tenants by the entirety, which is really joint to the right of survivorship, if one of them died, they would automatically, by law, be the sole owner of the house that they owned together. Plus, they'd be entitled to a third of the other one's estate. So, and you could see their eyes popping when the judge told them that it was translated into them. And, you know, we put a settlement on the record that morning. So, uh, anyway, the point is, is that tell your listeners, well, I guess we're both telling your listeners now, if they're going through a divorce, um, don't wait till the divorce is over. Jill, I, I can't tell you. It's it never happened to me in any of my cases Aww. where I before, but you, you can't take a chance. But I can tell you from law practice, I've known so many people who said when this happens, when that happens, they'll do a new will. Um, and, and I don't want to be morbid, but something happens before that and they pass away. And their estate does not go the way they would have wanted it. Um, so it's not something to procrastinate about. And I'm not trying to be, you know, morbid or doomsday, but God and Sam, lawyer, um, we're not, I mean, I, I do, and I think the reason I've been successful is I do everything I can to make my clients feel better, to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to make them laugh if possible, even even in the throes of you know the worst situations. Um, but it, like like a doctor, um, a lawyer, a lot of times has got to tell people things they don't want to hear. And um, as with doctors, usually there's you know um, hopefully there's something that can be done about it. But you know the process is not going to be pleasant, and it's the same with law. Usually, not always, some things are as terminal as a terminal illness, but usually there's something you can do, but it, 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 it may be a rough ride. And so that's something, so you've got to, you know, you make it clear to your client, yeah, you, you, you know, you're, you're 40 years old, you plan to live to 100. Uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's up, you know, anything can happen. You don't want your wife to get, you know, you're getting, going to a horrible divorce. You, you don't want her to get anything. And, and, and if you don't resolve the case soon, if you don't resolve the case while you're both still alive and something happens to one of you, it, it, the estate will not go the way you want. So, you know, you've got to, uh, you know, part of a lawyer's job is to say things to people. And I'll give you uh, another example. And, and again, Jill, as they always say, if I'm starting to bore you, just let me know. I'll change the subject. No, no. Um, <laughs> is that, and now I'm going to segue into another aspect of divorce, of divorce negotiations, is the children. Now, um, I know you have two daughters, and and adore them, and I'm sure they adore you. Two sons, two Um, sons, but close enough, yes, yes, yes. Oh, sorry. Don't don't be sorry. Well, uh, yeah, I I guess I I, I missed, okay. We don't know Uh, each other that well. We just talk all the time, but it's okay. Yeah, they're six and eight, don't worry. Austin and Jackson. Yeah, okay, excellent. So you have two children, you, you know, you think the world of them, they think the world of you. Um, and when a couple is going through a divorce, uh, especially when they're relatively, well, it doesn't matter what age they are, but, you know, let's say the kids are still minors, and um, it may come up that you want to provide for their college education, even if they're in grade school, um, and often it'll come up, it's just come up in one of my new divorces, where uh, one of the parties says, well, let's put in the agreement that will leave a certain amount to our children. By the way, even though I said to you, you, you can't disinherit your ha- husband and wife, as far as I know, in every state in the United States, you can disinherit your children. Wow. So, um, and I said, well, look, you know, and, and especially if I'm just, to take an example, it could be husband, wife, children of any age, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, let's say there were two kids, and um, the wife says, you know, the wife and the wife's lawyer say, let's, let's put in a will that will each leave a third to our kids, no matter what. And my client, and I'll tell my client, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm recommending against it. And the client is like, well, these are the only kids I'm going to have. So, you know, I would probably leave them at least a third of my estate anyway. And even if I remarry, um, 
and even in the unlikely, unlikely event that I have children or adopt children with the second marriage, um, and a lot of times people going through divorce are like, I'm never getting married again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't even go there with them. <laughs> um, but a lot of them do anyway. But, but you know, they'll say, okay, well, even if I remarry, even if I have children or adopt children or whatever, I, what, you know, it's not like I'm leaving 100% to these kids, you know, to my kids. And so the thing is, is that I have too often gone through, and it's a very, it's, uh, life, life, life is not fair, Jill. Mm-mm. Maybe that's why, that's why lawyers and doctors usually make a good living, because life is not fair. And um, unfortunately, there's sometimes a falling out between the kids or a kid and a parent or both parents. And here you have an agreement which is enforceable by the kid, what's called third-party beneficiaries. So it's usually enforceable by the kid. To leave a third to them, and you don't want to leave them anything. Mm-hmm. And I just said to you how a lot of times lawyers have to say to people things they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. Clients don't want to hear that there's going to come a time that they're going to want to disinherit their son or daughter. Yep. They're like, you know, I mean, they're God's gift. What are you talking about? The only good thing that came out of marriage was my kids. What you, well, of course I'm doing. But, you know, it, it, so I've got to be the heavy and say, look, I've gone down this path too often where there's a falling out. You don't like who they marry. They get into trouble. I mean, on and on, um, I, 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 there was a couple who wasn't a divorced couple, wasn't a divorced couple, who were happily married, um, and they came to me with the husband's father's estate. So they were on board with each other. Their original will, they left, they only had one child. Their original will left everything to their daughter. Mm-hmm. After all, this was, you know, they, they were not spring chickens, they weren't. They were happily married. There was no other children in, you know, there are no other children in the wings. Um, and they, so they had a will where they left everything to their daughter. And then their daughter started going out with skinheads and, mm. you know, really big crap. But luckily, they weren't obligated to leave everything to their daughter. They did new wills, leaving everything to other people. Oh. And, and actually, they named me as executor of the estate. I don't know why. I mean, they, because they trusted me a lot. But um, but that's kind of neither here nor there that they named me as executor, because I don't even recall who the original executor was. But, yeah, they disinherited their only child. So that, of course, since they weren't legally obligated to leave anything to their daughter. Um and that's another thing about wills, is as long as you haven't signed an agreement to leave your, your estate to certain ways, um, you can change your will literally on your deathbed. We've had cases. John, take a minute. We've literally had cases, we've literally had cases of people doing deathbed wills. Um, as in deathbed wills. So you can change it any time. Of course, don't get me wrong, it's it's an invitation to a will contest that a person literally 30 minutes before they expired 
that a, a new will disinheriting, let's say, their son, daughter, or whoever, change, uh, you know, changing their previous. That's an inv- I- invitation to a will contest. But um, anyway, the point is, is that you lock yourself in. And after all, when I say to my client, it doesn't mean you can't leave money to your son or daughter. It's just that you don't have to. So I always recommend that. And, um, you know, I've taken, and again, you know, if we had hours and hours, I could tell you cases that came to me. Did did the children come back to you, go to the attorney and and fight saying they had dementia, they weren't in their right mind, they changed the will? Sure. Did did those things happen? Sure. Yeah, all the time. All the time. I, I settled... This is December 2023. December 2022, I settled a big will contest. Wow. So, um, and yeah, it wasn't true, but, and I don't want to get too specific because, um, but it it was not true that the father had, um, you know, dementia. He was 95. He did not, and let me just tell you, my father lived to almost 98, Joe, mm-hmm. and he had all his marbles. He had all his marbles to live in. So, but he used to get, and, and this is kind of a segue, he used to get a kick out of, uh, like, especially, you know, if he gets cold calls from salesmen, and uh, they'll say, oh, well, you know, you should get 30-year bonds or something. And uh, he'd say, well, I'm almost 98. So, so almost, and my father used to say to me, oh, they say, oh, we're sorry, and have a good day. And my father said to me, he'd always get a kick out of it, because they figure, he's almost 98, he can't be in his right mind. But my father had all of them. So, but, you know, just, just on the age is an invitation to somebody who's dissatisfied with the will. Say, hey, he's 95, come on, you know. I don't know if you know the statistic, but 50% of people over 85 get Alzheimer's. So think about 95. Um, so you're absolutely right. But remember, I'm talking in the context of a couple getting divorced. Because if there's any question of the competence of either of them, then, and by the way, an incompetent person can get divorced, but then a guardian would have to be appointed for them, and the guardian would be acting for the um, would be acting for the uh, person who can't act for themselves. Um, and that's come up in one or two of my cases. But yeah, assume that you know your typical couple getting divorced are indisputably uh, competent, and so if they sign, all they're doing is signing an agreement where they don't leave anything to the other one. And they, and they don't have to leave anything to the children. It doesn't mean that they can't. Um, and also, uh, to show you how important it is to um, really cover all your bases, until I, I, I can't tell you how important it is for somebody who's getting divorced get someone who's not only get comfortable with, but is really experienced and knowledgeable. Um, you know, if there's any, anything slightly about this, what I'll give you a quick case. Um, so there was uh, somebody represented uh, who I knew from the Freemasons. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I'm very active in the Freemasons. And I knew him 
pregnancy and everything. They have a long marriage, um, 19 years, no children, and they were getting divorced. They were still relatively young. They were still in their 40s, so they must have gotten married when they were in their 20s. And um, the wife did claim to have some serious medical issues, but, you know, our side patients said, you know, she's just faking it and whatever, so she wants to get more money. So my clients agreed to pay, we'll call it alimony, look, it's called maintenance, for 19 years, but at a very low rate. I mean, it was, this divorce was over 20 years. This is, yes, I'm going to say this divorce was well over 20 years ago, and it was $100 a month alimony for 19 years, which even, let's say, 20, 25 years was, no, it's 25 years ago, was not a lot of money, but it was certainly a lot more than it is today, and they were both self-supported. So, and, and it was a very, it's kind of unusual to have a 19-year payout of alimony for 19 year marriage usually would be a much shorter period, but the amount was slow. And um, so they signed an agreement They uh, that they were giving up any claims to each other's estate. Um, and then she died a few months later. Wow. So, um, of course, for him, I mean, I, this is, I, I, I have no emotion about this, but you could certainly understand that he wasn't exactly crying what collapsed about here because he's looking at 19 years of alimony, which automatically ends when his wife, ex-wife dies. So he only paid it for six or eight months. So, but it gets better. She forgot to change the beneficiary on her life insurance policy. So she, you know, life insurance, she had him as the sole beneficiary. So um, his family excuse me, her family, understandably, is like, wait a minute. This bum kid gets all the insurance money. They were divorced, you know, Mm -hmm. and here's the agreement. They agreed that they give up any claims to each other's estate. And I'm like, yeah, they gave up claims to each other's estate, but she had a life insurance policy, and she for some reason or other, didn't change the beneficiary. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, so her family rolled up their sleeves. And, uh, you know, well, you don't know me that well, but I'm always ready quickly. So, uh, and we settled. You know, I, I think we wound up splitting the, the money from the insurance. So, for my client, it was a windfall because he certainly didn't expect to get anything. Yeah. Well, Philip, we are out of time. I apologize. We have to wrap up the story. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, so that's it. So we settled the case, and it was over. And each side got 50%. And the moral of the story is when you get divorced, not only do you make police, you know, hope your lawyer's done a great job and the agreement comes to all the bases, but you and him or you and her have to do a... uh, debriefing because maybe there's other loose ends not covered by the agreement like the life insurance policy that you've got to take care of and you got to take care of it yesterday. So that's my fear. So um, if you have another 60 seconds, I'll tell your viewers how they can reach me. Go for it. Okay, so website www.philip with one L a greenberg.com um, my email address is lawman, 
That's L-A-W-M-A-N-802 at AOL.com. My office phone number is 212-279-4550, and I'm conveniently located on the corner of 34th and Park Avenue in Manhattan, exactly two blocks from the Empire State Building. So when you come to see me, oh, and I'm very easy to reach on public transportation, plus there's uh, parking, a parking lot across the street, indoor parking. And um, um, so if, if you budget your time correctly, you, you can come to me and then walk two blocks and go up to the nice day, go up to the observatory at the Empire State Building. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. We always appreciate your time here. Philip A. Greenberg, uh, thank you so much. And uh, wishing you a very happy and healthy new year. And I guess we'll talk after the new year. You got it. And happy, healthy to you and yours and all of your listeners. Same here. Same to you and your family. Stay tuned, everyone. We will be right back. Bye-bye, Philip. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together, We're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council.